Hello there, and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. My next guest is a great example of someone who has had a lifelong connection to the place where she was born, and despite its size and geographic location, she's managed to build a very successful business that now employs 20 staff. Jody Williams from Black Ant Gourmet and Kin Kin General Store is now even considering a tiny homes project in the area for a number of reasons, and we talk about that in this podcast. You'll also hear about Terra Madra in Turin, Italy, Jody's involvement with Slow Food Noosa, and we discuss her scientific approach to preparing food in her kitchen. Jody is also one of those very rare people who can truly say that they were born and raised in Noosa. Well, I was born and bred in Karoi, so um, we have a bit of family history here. I'm fifth generation Noosa Shire. My daughter's sixth generation Noosa Shire. My parents uh, met at Pomona High and my mother's parents met at Kinkin. And so I've done the full circle and ended um, up living in Kinkin. Jodie, you may very well be the first guest in almost 50 podcasts when I talk about Noosa and connection to Noosa of people that were actually born in Noosa. You know, that's a very rare thing. It is a very rare thing. And it was a little bit disturbing one day. I was driving along and I suddenly realised that not only was I born in the Noosa Shire, I have never moved more than half an hour from the hospital I was born in. Yeah. But that, but don't look, why do you view it with a negative kind of connotation? That's not a, that's not a bad thing at all. I think there could be a bit of separation anxiety from Noosa if you look at it deeply. <laughs> I've travelled. I've enjoyed travelling, but I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd like to live. I've visited plenty of places, but Noosa's it yeah. for me. That's quite unique. Uh, I'm from a small town. I grew up in Bundaberg, up the road. And as a kid, all you ever want to do is leave the place where you went to school and or, you know you want, to, you want to broaden your horizons but it's funny now as a 51 year old I mean I don't have any family connection anymore to Bundaberg but there is a still in this kind of inherent uh, desire to return. Growing up in Noosa with grandparents and aunties and uncles that lived in the country and it's even though it was half an hour and as a child that half an hour seemed like two hours I was like are we there yet but realistically it's such a diverse little country. You've got beautiful beaches and national parks where we would oft, often visit. I remember at least once a week stubbing my toe walking along to Tea Tree Bay. I think I still do it occasionally um, on those beautiful national park walk tracks and and then being able to just hop in a car in 25 minutes and you're in the country and beautiful hinterland hills and and rainforesty walks is just incredible. We're very lucky. I know that my parents met in Pomona High School and before that my my grandfather and my great-grandfather, they settled um, in Black Mountain. And farming? Would that have been their background? Um, so, no, my grandfather um, mainly was involved in logging and um, building roads. Uh, he had Clydesdale horses, or his father did, my great-grandfather. They did the roads be- around the Big Pineapple, the Forest Glen area, and in all the way into Kinkin. Um, they did work there as well. Um, and then they went into my grandfather in his later years was a painter, so he would go around and travel around and paint all the fire towers uh, in the area, which was 
very daunting experience going up the top of one of those. They yeah, imagine they sway yeah. in, the, in the wind. They're so that was high. that was your your granddad. Yeah. What What are your memories of childhood with your parents, and and what did they do for a living? My parents were both um, and and have always been hardworking. So they retired now, but they volunteer a lot. Um, they were involved um, originally. My father was um, in the coal mines, and then he was in council, and then he started doing travel. So he was a travel agent for many years. My mum um, always worked in and worked in Noosa Tourist Information Centre as my f- youngest memory. And from there, she's she worked in the travel agency as well. I was very much a backseat traveller. I got to hear about all their adventures, and my sisters as well. They they both worked in the um, travel agencies around the areas. Yeah. Um, so I heard a lot about a lot of countries. Yeah. So did was, that kind of spark your imagination? Um, it did, but I never had the desire to travel like they did. I'd get somewhere and the first thing I wanted to do was couldn't wait to get home. Yeah. I'd like to visit. I like the adventure and the exploring, but um, I missed the the qualities of home yeah yeah i think that's fine and normal i have a, a good mate of mine who's traveled all around the world yeah and he's got a great quote that i often like to regurgitate he says the best thing about travel is coming home yeah absolutely so i and i guess for him and maybe for you it was a case of um look it's great to see the, the rest of the world but it makes you appreciate what you, what you have at home absolutely even more yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we live in a pretty special place when you were a kid what was your passion and your desire what did you want to do from a very young age, I loved punishing my sisters by creating little masterpieces and making them eat them. <laughs> I remember that. Um, and that passion grew. The older I got, the better I got at, at cooking. Um, I always enjoyed cooking and I also enjoyed um, working with animals. And originally I wanted to be a vet and then after – Doing, uh, having a couple of experience in a, um, in a behind the doors of a vet surgery, I said, no, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> so I thought food's much more up my alley, yeah. but a little bit more creative. You, you mentioned punishing your your siblings yep. with uh, some creations. Can you remember what kind of ingredients you uh, were working with back then? Well, back then like I mud tried. pies, were they, Jodie? No, no, yeah. it was very close. <laughs> of the chocolate crackle variety without the nice stuff in it. <laughs> Anything that would set without baking. That was my first um, – that was my first – and it's funny because it's done a full circle. There's a lot of raw food coming out and it's involving the, the foods that set without baking, so with your coconut oils and your kofas and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's – Funny how it's coming back around. You remember your first paying job? Yes, my first paying job. Um, it's funny. Um, it wasn't in the food industry. It's the only job that I had. It was um, at a place called – no, that wasn't. It was a fruit shop, I believe, Village Greens. Um, and we also did some um, vacuuming and stuff at a place called – Lawfords, which was a little shopping centre at uh, Noosa Sound. My sister worked there and mm. I got a little bit of a job um, on the holidays there. Um, when I finished school, uh, went and I was working for a place in um, the Islander Resort called Gilligan's, which great bosses and fantastic but they couldn't offer me an apprenticeship yeah and that's that's what you're after yeah yeah so they suggested somewhere and and it was a great place and they weren't looking so I said I'll work a week for free and they said okay and from then on I just 
had a job. And is that where you got your apprenticeship? Yep. Uh, doing the, the free week? Yep. Yeah, right. It was Anita's restaurant. It was great. Um, it was a wonderful place to work. Um, again, I've been really lucky. All my all my bosses have been fantastic. Um, Anita and Peter were wonderful. They'd go to the markets and get fresh local produce. The menu changed seasonally, sometimes, you know, more often, depending on whether we could get – it was it was very much uh, the menu based on what we should be doing now yeah. and that's what I love about um, – what we're doing now out at Kinkin yeah. and slow food, and it's very much how it should be. And tell me more about that. So, what was the goal, or I guess it is for a lot of chefs and apprenticeships, to to have your own place at some stage? And was Kinkin always in the back of your mind? You thought, well, I want to go back there, and I'm going to start up a place. It's going to bowl people over. Actually, it wasn't quite like that. So, I'd I'd always worked in restaurants, and I'd always had. Um, the ability, but I never, I've never really had a strong desire to own my own place as such as a restaurant or a cafe. I know what's involved and the roller coaster ride that's involved, and I tried to avoid it at all costs. But um, I needed a commercial kitchen for my catering business, which I loved doing. I loved getting out and knowing exactly how many people and exactly what the menu is going to be, and it just made more sense. Um, by opening the commercial kitchen in a place where I lived, it was an old um, general store that had been closed for seven or more years. So I said, oh, let's let's take the risk. Let's open it up as a commercial kitchen and we'll open the front to see what happens. Yeah. Ugh. So it happened and it's happening. Every year it's happening more. How long ago was that? That's five years ago. Right. So the, the front is now very much – we started with just three staff um, and from there we you know, have a very basic menu to start with just to keep the locals happy and then slowly people would find us and, oh, you're out here now. Like, oh, I better step up the menu a little bit. And every year it just got that little bit more serious and then it created the restaurant and cafe that it is now. Black Ant Gourmet. Yeah, Black yeah. Ant Gourmet at the Kin Kin General Store. Yeah, what do you like working with? When it comes to ingredients and oh, um, anything, yeah, I like the science behind it. Um, Tell me more about that. What okay, do you mean by that? so um, how long in different types of heat and and I love. I'm learning at the moment. I'm loving learning about smoking. We've been smoking our own meats and and cooking and doing um, different types of cold and hot smoke for the last five years um but again we used to do it when i was 18 you know a long long time ago yeah. <laughs> uh, and we used to do lemon myrtle smoked salmon way back then now we're just doing it and doing a little bit more um on a regular basis and a little bit more um just pushing the boundaries and seeing what we can achieve and the flavors and the slight differences. The more, um, the more you get experienced in something, the more you notice just the slight changes, and you go, "Oh, how can I capture that in something else?" And then you transfer it over and try it on a different product with a little bit more protein. Or yeah, yeah same can same. you can you talk about one of those like success stories? I mean, I'm very I love my grill. Yep. Right, but I'm not, and then I hear people talking about smokers and things like that, and and those subtleties. I had Marcus Denby in here from Woodfire Grill, who's another guy who loves working with grill and meats and things like that. Yeah, can you give me like you know a, a, an insight into something that you've created 
I don't know. Oh, I, I might be so where, where you've, where you've you, you know, can, yeah, yeah. slow cooked it for 60 hours. Or so, I don't know. Oh, okay. So <laughs> the, the list is endless. Um, but so we take it a step further back behind and, and we've got um, a farm where we grow our own um, pork and beef and occasionally lamb. Um, from there, we look at the different times of the year that you um, send the animal away and the type of grass it's been on and how much fat, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the different smoking times, how much with the indirect smoke and direct smoke and at what temperature for how long and you record those temperatures. And some like the same brisket done uh, a different way, slightly longer. Um, we've got different times and we've got different end results. Mm. Uh, I never realised there was also all those intricacies. Oh, definitely involved yeah. in like time of the year, the grass that you feed them. It's a lot more stable in grain-fed yeah. um, beef, but for me, grain-fed is not what I'm interested in. I mean, I'm interested in grass-fed, slightly natural. I mean, there's nothing wrong with grain. Fed consistency is obviously better. You, your marbling of your fat um, is going to be a lot better, but it's how the grain's grown that I have the issue with, with sprays and stuff like that. Right, so right. for me, if you want clean meat, it's just easier to go for grass-fed where you know where it's been, been grown. So is that farming operation a big operation? No, no, we're small, so we own, got, we yeah. don't. Um, we've had a lot of people try and purchase our product um, for other places, but we just Can't service. Supply. No, yeah. we just service. It's not. It's not viable for us to go and try and compete in a market where we're trying to sell. We don't want to do that. We just want to be able to grow what we supply, and then we top up. Um, we top up with other people's product yeah. um, that have similar. Um, principles in growing. Uh, obviously, our pork's um, out in the pasture. Um, it's some of it's free range, but most of it, the finishing um, pork, we actually have in pens that we move around on a daily basis. So they get clean patch, but they're not running around because we found that when they did that, they were slightly tougher. Wow. Yeah. So they're restricted, but yeah. not too much. Yeah. Um, and and we move that around. So that they're on fresh grass every day. They dig. They're in a, a small group of four. Understand. Um, and they're, they're happy. Yeah. yeah. You spoke about viability. If, if someone said today, I'm going to open up a, a cafe, a restaurant in Kingan, they'd go, are you crazy? You wouldn't get the foot traffic out there. How do you survive out there? And I know you've had a long link with that area. Yeah. But was that like one of the challenges when you said, well, I'm going to do this business and I'm going to do it here. Yeah. And yet you've grown and grown and grown in a place like Kinkin. Yeah. So originally it wasn't about the front working for it, us. It was about the catering it side was of it, about, I understand. About, so I had that support and the business was always um, supported by the catering. Uh, and now as the business has grown and um, as um, – I'm getting busier. I'm finding that the running around doing the catering is less attractive and having people come out to us is seeming more attractive um, and having that great team of people. So we started with three staff members and now we're up to 20. Wow. Um, it's a destination, isn't it? It, it yeah. has become it's, a bit of a destination, yeah. which is great. We've got great regular repeat custom, which says we're 
doing something right. <laughs> Talk about your involvement with Slow Food Noosa. So, so Slow Food Noosa is, um, for me, a great way to be around people um, like-minded that want to support local, they want clean food, it's um, paddock to plate. Pa- it's it's it, 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 the, it's the cycle is you know it's a tight cycle. It doesn't travel far. There's a huge amount of principles that I've been working with for a long time, and it just it just fitted so well with what we're doing. So really pleased at, since joining up with Slow Food Noosa a few years ago. Um, I've noticed that I'm I'm involved with a lot more people that are doing similar things, and it's a rapidly growing food movement that is going to have a huge benefit, not just to the local community, but internationally. Yeah. Um, Speaking of internationally, um, at the end of September, you're going to Terra Madre, which is um, it happens every two years in in Turin. Is this your first trip to Terra Madre in Turin? Yes, As it a is. Delegate? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be kind what of is, exciting. What are you looking forward to the most? I'm looking forward to learning. So for for me, going away on holiday has never been on a list of priorities for me. It's been a while since I've gone away, but I seem to work every day. So it'll be a great transition to go away, enjoy a bit of a holiday, but it's a working holiday. So I still yeah. get to, um, to do those things that I love so much. The ability to be around such a huge group of people – that are all interested or working towards one thing, which is sustainable food, um, and all the information that they have and being able to absorb some of that information and come back and share it with other people that are interested is that's really a great thing. That's yeah. an awesome opportunity. What have you heard about it, about Terra Madre? Oh, lots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've, I've heard a lot of, I've taken a lot on board. Um, it's going to be lots of forums. I've tried to book into as many as I can without restricting myself. Um, I'm doing cooking classes. I'm doing some, um, some great dinners. Um, we've got the opportunity to represent Australia and create, um, one plate, which is a really hard thing to try and do, to that showcases what Australian food is. Yeah. So it's like, oh. Well, t- tell me more about that. Was, was it a representation of Australia or a representation of our re- well, region? Well, they, they, it's supposed to be um, Australia and then it got narrowed down to Noosa because, <laughs> <laughs> because it was sort of like um, you only get one opportunity per country to showcase a right. plate. And so it ended up being narrowed down to um, Zeb and myself to come up with um, Zeb Gilbert from yeah, Wasabi. From Wasabi yeah. what, what? So can is it a secret? Because I want to ask you about what. What's uniquely? You're shaking your head. No, no, it's no. not a secret. No, no. What? What would be a unique representation of our region? Well, we, well, myself, and I spoke with several people. We didn't want the responsibility of choosing one item and putting those flavours together. So we did some canapes and presented it to a group of people, um, Slow Food Noosa members, and we let them decide. So it was a very sort of informal, put your hand up, 
sort yeah. of affair. And it ended up being um, a smoked beef dish. So yeah. it was iron bark smoked rib fillet. And that was served on a little tartine, which is it's a, it's a damper, um, basically. And it was like an, a cross between an open sandwich. And um, it's got all these wonderful flavours. So we've got a Rosella barbecue sauce. We've yeah. got a, um, a macadamia wattle seed tapenade. And we have a lemon aspen aioli. Oh, so hungry. And yeah. it's just <laughs> layered and it just works well. And you'll prepare that over there mm. and, and then that'll be like on the Slow Food Australia stall or stand is that is that so we'll present that to i think 80 people right and they will purchase the food and walk around and eat it and that's supposed to be the australian flavors and that's their experience of tasting what australia is about and i think every country gets their opportunity to do that yeah so i'll be looking forward to seeing what everyone else is doing and i've heard it's an interesting experience being in a share kitchen but I'm sort of used to thinking on my feet and doing a lot of outside catering jobs. Sometimes you're in sure. tiny kitchens. Sometimes you're in garages. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's some yeah, yeah. It's good. good you have a, you have a partner. My understanding is he's very quiet and behind the scenes. Is yes. that is that right? He's not quiet. He oh, just, but, but he doesn't. Just, he just like he's a bit hard worker. Yeah, well, that's that's fine. But and he doesn't. He doesn't like the limelight. He leaves no. that to you. Yeah. No, he pushes me out the front. I'm the <laughs> sacrificial lamb. <laughs> so what's his role? Is he uh, part maintain the farm? And is that so? He, what's his name? Can we? Uh, so Brett. Brett, <laughs> Brett right. my partner. Yeah. yeah. He's um, very much. Um, so we met fifteen, ooh, sixteen years ago now. Yeah. Um, and hit it off. We're both um, go-getters and the combination's a little bit dynamic and we get a lot achieved. Uh, we put in a lot lot of hours. We are both pretty much workaholics. Um, but it seems to work well. We have taken – we started um, new businesses together thinking that one would increase and we'd just stick with that but all – of the three businesses we started have all continued to grow at the same sort of rate and are all so intertwined. We just keep going and keep building. So uh, it gets a little bit hard at the moment. We've got two building jobs on, so we're extending out the back of the shop um, to create an extra dining space so we can bring more of my outside catering to where we are. Um, It just makes it more viable um, f- on both sides for the customer and for me. Um, I'm not packing and unloading and setting up and they can jump on a bus with no venue hire fee and yeah. come out and visit us. So that's going to be exciting when that ha- is finished. It's being built now with um, – there's four guys back at the shop doing yeah. that. Okay. And we're building a house. Oh, wow. So rammed earth home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Using, you know, a lot of um, – 80% of the building materials will come from the property itself. Yeah. Do you have kids? I have one and Brett has two, but they're hardly kids anymore. Oh, um, adults? My, yeah, yeah. My right. daughter, Talia, she's uh, 23. Right. And What's she interested in? Um, she's a little bit of an entrepreneur. She's working for um, our businesses full-time. She has done for a while. Yeah. Um, she did have plans to go to university, but she's not in any rush. 
um, she has the ability, but she's learning so many skills um, managing the business for me. So sure. she's got a quite an interesting role of right. like marketing and communications. Yeah, and a little bit of everything. Yeah, it sounds like uh, between you and Brett and the kids and the business, like there's so many balls in the air. Yeah. Uh, is there anything on uh, you know your list of goals or bucket list, Jody, that you haven't ticked off yet? Absolutely. Oh wow. Well. <laughs> See, because I'm exhausted already. <laughs> like, wow, what else are you going to do? <laughs> one of one of our um, passions, and and this is like a lot later on down the track, and who knows, things things change. Um, but um, with uh, my partner's skills, we are interested in affordable um, housing in the form of tiny homes. Actually, let me talk to you a little bit more about that because you just sparked – because my wife, uh, Deb, and I were talking about this last night. Can you give me the reason behind that? Is it So for us, originally, um, one of our biggest problems with staffing is we've got a great access to different juniors if their parents live in Kin Kin, right. which is – um, it's Transportation's great, but exactly yeah. transportation's a big issue. So then, when they do get of age where they have got a car, Kinkin's a little pond noose is so much more fun. So, you know, you you work with them for a year and get them experience, and then they they, they go to the high life. It's yeah. and it's more fun. You yeah. know, they're teenagers, and then it's it's accommodations really hard to get in Kinkin. It's there's not many rentals. So we looked into um, the possibility of building um, smaller accommodation where people could live that worked for us full time um, and it would be a viable accommodation arrangement that they could then actually save because their disposable income is is higher. Mm. Um, it would be a limited residence. Like it, it would just basically be a little office, somewhere to sleep, a little kitchenette, that sort of thing. Um, but I think it's a really good opportunity and we're looking forward to doing that. Mm. Where did the, the idea come from? I think it just came from three of our staff were sleeping in their cars. Wow. And when they came to us and we said, well, one of them was working for us um, and couldn't live where they were living anymore and they didn't want to leave their job And they were tr- while they were trying to find accommodation – and for some people, they'd never rented before, yeah. and it was really hard. Um, another one, you know, split up with their partner and had to leave. Right. Um, didn't want to, you know, and and well, two of our staff that were were travelling came looking for work. It gave them a job, and they said, "Great, now I've just got to find somewhere to live." Right, and that went on for. Six weeks. So you've got the demand. Yeah. And you're just going to give them the supply now. Yeah. And so where would the tiny house, like on your property? You've got some well, property you're still, going to- con- we're still, well, it's early days. Great I idea. Mean, I, it's something that we're keen on. We did discuss it briefly with council and we look forward to doing something like that in not too distant future. But it's early days yet. We've already been, I mean, as because we don't stop, when we get home at the end of the day, we don't just- kick back we start looking at different designs and wow look at these great and i've got great friends that send me stuff in my in my family they oh look at this fold out ladder stairs it's fantastic you know and you pick up little ideas and then um my partner brett he is he a builder no but he's a carpenter so he he's a shop fitter yeah. by trade, but he's taken his hand to property maintenance. So he's got dozers and excavators and stuff now. But his skill set is working with timber, and he's very good 
timber worker. But it's just not where the market is these days. There's a lot of people that he used to build beautiful kitchens out of timber, but it's all chipboard now and he can't compete and he doesn't really want to do. The passion's sort of gone for him if it's not timber. Yeah. Well, I love this idea. I mean, I didn't yeah. realize, I knew when you said you had uh, employees who were sleeping in their cars and, yeah. and it's just the idea to go, well, go get them some accommodation. And, yeah. Well, it right. start, Yeah, it sort of started with um, our son's cubby house, which they brought together. <laughs> They're, not, son, that, they're not that small, though, are no, they? No, no, no. But it was a kind of cool cubby house. We, we started building it for him and then all of a sudden it was accommodating one of our staff members. It was stuck. Yeah, what a great idea. And, yeah, that's how it sort of started. And then we said, oh, if we're going to do this, probably have to do it formally. Um, obviously. Obviously, all our staff are, got their own places at yeah. the moment, which is great. But then I realised, you know, if we had that ability, it would be a great um, draw card for somebody that said, I just want to save up for a deposit for my own place. Well, if you work for us and this is your rent, yeah. the rest of your income's disposable, you get provided meals. So, yeah. yeah. Great idea, great initiative. Always love talking to people like you, Jody, who are uh, entrepreneurial in, in many different you know avenues. So thank you so much for sharing your story and, and all the best in, uh, in Turin. Lovely, thank you. Jody Williams there from Kin Kin General Store and Black Ant Gourmet. I certainly hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, share it about on your social media channels and please rate and review the podcast. We are now also available on the Spotify podcast tab and other podcast platforms, Apple, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher and Wooshka. Remember, there are two fresh podcasts every week on our In Noosa Magazine uh, website every Monday and Thursday. Head to In Noosa Magazine dot com dot au forward slash conversations until next time take care